Hello, hello. This is Ali Decker, and you're listening to The Long Game Podcast. Today, I'm chatting with Chelsea Castle, a longtime Twitter friend of mine. When I put out a call for content leaders to chat with on The Long Game, Chelsea came highly recommended. This was no surprise, considering that not even three years out of college, Chelsea landed her dream job at the time, editor-in-chief of not one but two publications. From there, she ventured into the agency world and eventually found herself as head of content marketing at Chili Piper, where she currently leads a growing team of writers and content strategists. I was excited to chat with Chelsea about how her myriad of content experiences has shaped where she is today and how she leads content strategy at Chili Piper. In this episode, Chelsea and I chat about the delusion of the dream job and why it's so important to remember the human side of content marketing. Without further ado, here's Chelsea. Chelsea, thank you for hanging out with me today. I'm excited to learn more about your content journey, um, your background in content and writing, and kind of how it's all coincided where you are today. Um, I'd love to start with just a question I like to ask everyone. What has your content journey looked like? Hmm. Well, first of all, thanks for having me. Excited <laughs> to chat with you. Uh, in terms of my content journey, I think a lot of content marketers and what I'm learning is people in SaaS in general have very interesting, unique paths. Um, mine is also probably a little funky. Uh, I actually started in journalism. So I studied journalism at Ohio State, worked in newspapers, magazines. My dream job was to be the editor-in-chief of a magazine. And I was really lucky and grateful that, that was one of my first jobs out of college. So I ran two magazines, started one from scratch and loved it. So like grateful for that experience. But then I'm like, okay, well now what the F do I do after I got to, I like escalated quickly. Um, so I went to the agency world, all of my skills kind of directly transferred over, uh, worked in a marketing and branding agency, both on the marketing side, like marketing the agency out into the marketplace, and then also mm -hmm. on the client side. So that's where I started to get really deep into digital work, did a lot of UX work, um, really loved it. So I, we were crafting websites for our clients, uh, and I was leading content strategy creation, doing a lot of like the UX designing with designers and engineers and just really loved that space. And I think that's where I really learned that I wanted to work in tech without mm -hmm. knowing that I wanted to work in tech. I just, yeah. loved, I love that space. Um, I also, it's just like a fun aside that I always like to share. I was homeschooled in middle school, like online before like online was schooling was a too. thing. <laughs> No way. <laughs> yeah, whole, just for like, fourth grade. But um, yeah, there we didn't have computers or anything. So I can relate to that. Yeah, it changes you. Mm -hmm. uh, I think you learn a lot of skills. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm glad that I had a mix of that and public school yeah. <laughs> to help me with my socialization so skills. Um, but during that time, I just had to learn to be intuitive. I was kind of on my mm -hmm. own on the computer, taught myself HTML and CSS and just naturally oh, became like intuitive with understanding technology. Whereas now you know, like your parents are like, I can't figure out why it's doing the same. Like, well, you have to figure it out. Like right. technology is not perfect. Yeah. So I just kind of naturally had that intuition of, well, if this is happening on this website or this app, then here are things I have to do. Or I was also just fascinated with like understanding uh -huh. like how things, how things worked. That's so interesting. 
I digress a little bit there. <laughs> after the agency world, I moved to Nashville, uh, where I live now with my husband. And I worked for um, a large tech company, um, Campaign Monitor slash CM Group slash Emma. So I worked mm-hmm. primarily on Emma, email marketing tool, but it was part of CM Group, uh, which is a family of seven brands, I think mm-hmm. now like eight or nine. Um, so that was an amazing experience getting to like actually work in the tech space, which is can be hard to break into. Um, led content there. And then I made my way to Chili Paper, where I'm the director of content. So just really deep into the startup tech world. That's so interesting. I Most folks I've talked to as part of this podcast have either agency and slash or uh, journalism experience. And I'm curious, do you find yourself do you like that you have that journey? Do you like that you have that journalism background? Do you think it's an asset for you? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Uh, some of the best marketers I know are former journalists. Mm-hmm. I think for a little while, I almost felt like a sellout. Yeah. <laughs> like journalism was so core to my like values in life. Uh-huh. But journalism has also changed so much. Um, are you pro or anti-cussing on this? Oh, go for it. Okay. I'm like, I stopped myself a couple of <laughs> times just because it's natural. No, um, I, I do it all the time. So I love it. Okay, cool. Um, what it? um, you thought you were selling out. Oh yeah. So, so journalism is just like a totally different world now at the time. It really was the fifth estate. Social media was a little different. It was so-called media mm-hmm. at the time, very old school. Um, now I just feel like the skills are so directly transferable mm-hmm. and journalism is inherently about the human element of a story, the interview skills you and you learn, this like way that you structure content, focusing on like the human element again, like I said, and understanding what drives a human connection with content, because mm-hmm. that's your goal um, outside of just kind of like holding people accountable in the stories you tell. But the storytelling, the interview skills, the dissecting of content too, um, and just understanding. Yeah. Again, like connecting with the human on the other end of it makes marketing feel less like marketing. Yeah. And I think the best marketing today doesn't actually feel like marketing. So when you're just telling a story and you're being strategic, intentional about it, then I think that's like the best content that I see out there. So journalism is just a really nice foundation to work from. What role does that background and that experience play in the strategy you have in your current job now? Mm, it's a good question. Everything that we do is about serving our audience. Um, like I said, I don't like marketing or sales even. I think the two terms and the way that we think about them is evolving, which I love mm-hmm. seeing those conversations happening. Like if I'm driving, if I'm taking actions to drive lead gen as a marketer, that's also just kind of sales. <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. pre-sales. So it's a little interwoven. Right. Um But yeah, as a marketing team, as a content team, especially our mission at the end of the day is to create helpful, high quality content that serves our audience. That's helpful to them, whether they're a customer already, community member, not yet a prospect or a prospect who's actually like interested in what we're writing about or potentially like in our product and the problems that it solves for. Um, Our goal is just to serve them with content Mm -hmm. that's helpful, that's valuable, that actually gives them tangible takeaways. That's not fluff. Um, so that when they do have a problem that we can solve, they know to come to us. Or we've also just gotten really good at kind of like brand affinity, even if you're not a, a user. Right. Um, 
So that's kind of how everything, like how we think about everything that we do, whether it's an email, whether it's an ad, I always think about the human on the other end of it. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people don't. (laughs) Definitely. I think because my career is entrenched in marketing and it's been like a very, it's had to be a very intentional process of like not thinking immediately about like the analytics or like the bottom line. Like I think those things come into play, but as a, like, I think content marketing is such an interesting crossroads of like creativity and analytics and performance. Um, but having like my degree in marketing has, it's been an interesting switch from focusing on the analytics solely and remembering the creative and like human element. So I'm always curious, like where people started in their content journey. Cause like you said, it's like, you don't major in content marketing. Um, I've seen journalism, I've seen English, I've seen marketing, I've seen biology. (laughs) So it's such an interesting question. I like to ask everybody. Um, so when you, when you lead with that, you know, human element, what are you measured on? Like, what's your team measured on? Interesting. You asked that. Um, because I agree with everything that you just said, I feel really strong, like really mm-hmm. strongly in experience <laughs> about because we over index on measuring, I think traditionally as marketers and you are just so focused on over measuring and then you're under underserving your audience and under delivering. So I think it's a balance, right? Because data and analytics are important. I love all my spreadsheets. I love yep. all of the data that we get from our myriad of tools in our tech stack, right? But at the end of the day, it has to be a healthy balance. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of qualitative data that we see in the marketplace that gives us indicators of what's working and what's not. So if something has a million page views, but no one is really responding to it on a social post um, or we're just not seeing any resonance in qualitative data, then those page views don't mean a whole lot to me. Um, so it's, it's a balance, I think, of consideration of data and research and whatnot um, in terms of measuring. So we're, we are measured on pipeline and revenue mm-hmm. um, in terms of what can be measured from a content perspective. As we all know, there's the dark funnel and a lot of things that cannot be attributed. Um, I'm lucky to work for a CEO who understands that. Yep. Um, our that CEO is also... Question. Yeah, our CEO also runs marketing right now. So we don't have a VP of marketing or a CMO. Um, at least that just happened this year. He's been running marketing. So it's nice that the person who is kind of in charge of the trajectory and the vision and the future of the business is also leading marketing and understands the roles that sales and marketing both play together. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so we are we're measuring on pipeline, we're measuring on revenue, um, what some people call SQLs, we call them mm-hmm. QHMs, quality held or sorry, qualified held meetings. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's the only thing that we can control, right? Like we can't always control if the sale closes or not. Yep. Um, or what that looks like. So we're measuring on those things, but also like a multi-attribution bucket. So it's like a team bucket essentially, because we all know demand gen is kind of at the core and it supports every other marketing function and everything yeah. that we do together is interwoven. Um, so as opposed to being a tribute or having attributable goals per function, isn't how marketing works at all. So we have like a team bucket and then also brand engagement. So Mm -hmm. that all of the affinity that we're garnering from videos and, um, kind of like brand, knowing that brand drives demand, um, that kind of has like its own bucket as well. So what kind of relationship does content have with the rest of your organization? 
Is it, and if it's positive and if it's kind of a two-sided relationship, how have you built that with those like department heads or leaders? Yeah. So that's a great question. Something that we put in place in January of this year is something called centers of excellence. And it's really just the idea that as a company, we want every department to be its own center of excellence. So we draw from what other people and other organizations do really well in that respective function, learn from it, take our own expertise and kind of shape how we want to be excellent in our own way. And the out, some of the output of that is actually is content. So, mm-hmm. um, through that, it's kind of happened organically to for me and my team, um, mostly me because it was I was a one woman team at the time. <laughs> I just hired a bunch of people over the last couple of months, so for most of this year as a one woman show. Um, but I got to work with department heads who are are on target personas, like sales and marketers are yeah. our personas. So working with on target personas to to write content that would be valuable to our audience, to write about what they're doing, how Chili Piper uses Chili Piper, etc. So through that, I've kind of had the opportunity to naturally cultivate some of that rapport, uh, especially with our VP of customer success, Gemma. She is just phenomenal. And I kind of collaborated with her on a whole content stream called CCO Secrets. Um, so getting to work that closely with somebody at the executive level who also sits, you know, obviously leads the CS team, which encompasses not just uh, like CSMs, but also support. Yeah has been huge um, because there's a gold mine of info, as we know, that sits with the people who work directly with our customers. Um, so those are some ways, but we also just, now that I have a team, I've been spending pretty much like at least one or two meetings a month, meeting with department heads to kind of sink on what each other is working on. Um, a lot of times just the lack of visibility can yeah. lead to just the misunderstanding. And I think as humans, like we don't always we make assumptions and observations, but like when you actually know what's going on, when sales team knows what content we're planning and that might be useful to them or vice versa, um, like having organic, natural conversations to build that rapport and sync on what each other's working on helps us continue to cultivate like a one team mindset. Right. So tell me about the hiring process this year. Like what, what prompted that and how did it go? And like, what kind of roles did you hire for? Oh man, growth. <laughs> uh, growth has been insane. I was higher 62 or 63. Okay. And we are at like 150 something, I think. Wow. So that's been in less than a year. Um, but it's all good things. It's good mm-hmm. growth, right? Like we're growing for a reason. Um, for most of this year, it was I was a content senior content marketing manager at the beginning of the year. Um, then I had another colleague who was the same role. She moved to product marketing, which was really cool. Um, she's loving that. And then it was just me. Mm-hmm. So um, when I was promoted to director, I was like, okay, well, I need some other humans to help mm-hmm. me do these things. So I created a plan. Um, we've kind of had to figure out our SEO strategy a lot over the last year uh, in terms of what works and what doesn't and what we what sort of purpose we want that to solve for us and what SEO looks like at Chili Piper. So my first hire was a senior SEO manager. Um, he also has a lot of background in data and analytics. So, and he's new to SaaS, mm. which has been really exciting Where did he to come have. From? Um, he came from a business called, or a company called Fit Small Business. Oh yeah. Okay. I've heard mm-hmm. of that. Yep. So yeah, he's just been a great addition to the team. He's kind of like my right-hand man, really understanding like not just SEO and the traditional sense, but he's really skilled in on-page, off-page, technical analytics, yeah. all of the things. Um, so he's been great to kind of set that foundation 
at the team level. And then I hired two content marketing managers and then I'm also hiring for two more. <laughs> but that's awesome. That, if anyone's looking. So what was the process like from going, I'm assuming mostly practitioner to then more of a people manager, like high level strategy builder? Yeah, it's hard. The balance. <laughs> we also don't believe in leaders at Chili Piper who just get to sit there and think. Everyone's an IC. Okay. So I'm an IC as well as leading a team. Mm-hmm. And honestly, it's fucking nuts sometimes, but I love it. Um, because I want to be doing the work. I want to be writing. Yeah. But I've also always led people. Like ever yeah. since college, I've had like a, a team of some sort, whether it was freelancers, whether it was interns, like I've always led people um and not that's not the thing for everyone right Right. like I have some people on my team who are like nope I don't want to lead a team that's not an interest or a skill set of mine yep and we believe that promotions and progression and careers should not be contingent upon leading people yeah um well yeah so it's hard but I love it and that's kind of like my perfect scenario is being able to be an IC and also lead at the same time it's just a crazy balance sometimes. How has your experience, you know, being editor in chief, how did that translate over for you? Yeah, that was fun because I was, I want to say it was a one woman show, but it was me. And then I had to create a team of writers and I had a couple designers, but I had to figure out how I also laid out. So I, I got some production design jobs. So mm-hmm. I literally laid out every single page of a magazine weekly for like three years. In addition to like leading a team, figuring out what the, the budget at the time we would call, like what the content looks like a budget, mm-hmm. um, what that looks like each week, planning the content, planning the articles, like so much project management, I would yeah. say to kind of sum it up, like really hyper intense project management that really comes in handy, especially at a startup <laughs> where we don't have a project manager. Yeah. Um, we kind of have to be our own PMs. So that's been really, really useful. Oh my gosh. It seemed like, you know, hitting your dream job so early in your career. I mean, it sounds like it was mostly baptism by fire for you. Oh, for sure. Um, <laughs> and it was a really successful publishing company. They had a myriad of different publications, but it was a baptism by fire. Like I reported <laughs> to the CEO. I had just graduated college. I knew my shit, but also like, I look back on some of the things I created. I'm like, wow, I was definitely a 22 year old. <laughs> what the fuck? Um, but it, it gave me so many skills and like tough skin and just like so many skills that I would have never be able to get anywhere else. And also like dream jobs are a joke. That's what that taught uh, me. Not a joke, but it's like, they're not, they're not as they're not far joke, away as they seem. Yeah. It's like, it can be, I think when you call it a dream job, yeah, to your point, it makes it seem less attainable than it really is. So what was that like when you realized I've arrived, but I'm not finished yet? Like, what was that feeling like? Mm. I don't know if I looked at it that way. I think it just felt like this thing. Yeah. It felt like this like pie in the sky thing I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And then once I was doing it, cause I led a weekly tabloid that we turned into a glossy mag. And then I started a quarterly like hefty fitness publication. So it wasn't until I think I started the latter one that I was like, Oh wow, I'm really doing this. I'm trying to figure out how to build a magazine. <laughs> like a oh magazine. Um, Sounds incredible. I think being younger, I had 
this is like getting really personal. <laughs> I love it. I had, I think I had a little more confidence because not more confidence, but like there was no imposter syndrome. I was never like, who am I to be building a magazine? Like I've never done this before. I was just like, okay, I've been given this opportunity for a reason. So I'm just going to do my best. Um, so I don't know if, how that works. Like, you know how they say like when we're little, like we are just like more fearless because we just like our brains are literally so different when you're like 10 or right. eight versus like now, like you, your perspectives are different. So I think at the time I was like, okay, like he thought I could do this. So I'm just going to do it and try my best where now I'd be like, who did I think I was? Like, there was no imposter syndrome at the time. There is no, like, it's not to say I like was super, like, I knew like hundred percent of what I was doing. Cause I wasn't some days I'm like, I have no clue what to put on the cover. Like it was a hard <laughs> job. Right. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really, what do you think really that came that from? Do you just think you had like really good influence in your life at the time? And like just a really positive outlook or was it like you said, more of just young brain? <laughs> I think a mix of all three. Yeah. I had some, some mentors at the time who are still friends and people I keep in touch with, but they kind of kept me straight, like made sure that I was humble, but also knew what I was good at, knew mm-hmm. where I could grow, felt supported. I think support system is important. Um, so interesting. Do you think you have yeah. more of an imposter syndrome now? Oh, for sure. (laughs) I feel like Twitter plays such a big role in my imposter syndrome. Like last year during COVID, I told myself like I would, I've always been remote, um, but I felt particularly disconnected last year. And I was like, I'm going to get more engaged on Twitter. I did like the ship 30 for 30 thing for a little bit. And I was like, I'm just gonna put myself out there. But the more I put myself out there, the worse I actually felt. And like the more, just because I think, there was like, I just was consuming so much of other people's stuff, like opinions and a lot of valuable stuff, but just lots of stuff. Like it just noise and opinions and hot takes and hashtag marketing Twitter and all these things. I was like, look, look at all the stuff I'm not doing. So I feel like it almost, there's definitely like a balance between it all, but I just wonder if that plays a role as an adult in our adulthood and feeling more of an imposter syndrome than we did when we were younger. Yeah, I think that's totally true because we didn't have, I guess at that time in my life, like Instagram was maybe just becoming a thing. But yeah, social media, I think in general is the culprit for a lot of those feelings, a lot of comparisons. Um, I remember this quote though, um, I can't remember who it was from, I'll have to find it, but she was talking about how imposter syndrome is a phrase that almost feels like career gaslighting um like women in underrepresented groups aren't suffering from imposter syndrome they're suffering in a system that wasn't designed with their success in mind so i've been doing a lot of pondering on imposter syndrome this year around like is it actually imposter syndrome or are we just functioning in systems that weren't really built for us to succeed especially especially for underrepresented groups and for women because we're, I mean, it's 2021, but we're still operating in systems that were built a long time ago and not necessarily for us. No, that I've never heard it phrased that way. And I also think imposter syndrome is used so frequently that once you become aware of it, it's like, that's kind of where you stop and you don't actually try to figure out 
like the awareness portion for me was such a big climb. And now that I'm aware of it, part of me is like, oh, that's just imposter syndrome. Like I don't actually challenge the notion and try to like work through it. Cause I don't know what the other side looks like for me. I always thought the older I get, the more confident I get, but actually, like you said, it sometimes feels like the opposite. Like I'm waiting for it to just fade. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like a very intentional, you know, the same way as like body dysmorphia, all that stuff. Like it's a very intentional process of like rewiring. Um, Almost feels like that work is harder than like our actual jobs (laughs) sometimes. It's true. Especially in the tech world, right? Where 1% of VC funding goes to women, and it's hard to see female leadership at companies as well. And you think of top influential marketers, right? They're all white men. And that's not to say that they're not brilliant. Like they know their shit. I learn a lot from them, but um, I actually made a post about that recently on Twitter. You know what I've seen that where I'm like, okay, so where are the non-white men? Just so I, I can see be like, what are, what are other influential marketers out there who are killing it? Um, it was a great dialogue. Yeah. So do you find that Twitter is an asset in your career and your like network? How does it, like, what role does it play for you? Twitter is interesting because I got on it very young in college. And at the time it was like this little town hall almost in Columbus, Ohio, where I was at the time or where my hometown, my hometown is. Um, I built a lot of my connections there. I got my first internship in Twitter on Twitter, just from having conversations with people. So I think it's always been like near and dear to my heart. Yeah. Um, now, I think I kind of, when I, so I was actually running social media when I was at the agency. It was one of my first jobs and that killed social media for me. <laughs> Being a, an SMM, I'm like, I couldn't, I didn't, I didn't want to do it for personal purposes anymore. Um, now it's so different. There's marketing Twitter and the tech space uh, conversations on there and whatnot. It's critical. I think um, I learned so much. There's also, I mean, with everything, there's pros and cons, but there's like some crazy shit on there. But also I've learned a lot. I met amazing people like you and many others. Like it's, (laughs) it's been a huge asset for, for things I've learned and also like people to connect with, to collaborate with uh, in like my day job. So it's been awesome. Yeah. I think for me, it was just a challenge about curation. Um, Like for any social media opening the door too wide and it kind of drowns everything out, even the good stuff. So I, after my (laughs) foray into Twitter last year, I started like really pulling back on who I followed and like really thought critically about that. And I think you have to get to the point where you feel like flooded and then you kind of understand, okay, this is the purpose it serves for me. Um, Cause I'm not in a space where I can catch all of that mentally. Like I'm kind of not as much of a sponge as I was even a couple years ago in my career. Um, and I think it's the same as like picking an audience for like a product, right? Like it can't be everybody and everything. And I think treating yourself the same way, it's just, it's kind of the, the key I found just being really, really particular. Um, so we'll change topics a little bit. <laughs> I know we went on a long digress. Um, so many good questions I want to ask you. What's one job experience that you never hope to repeat? Oh, <laughs> if you have more than one, you can share it, but we'll start with one. Oh, that's a great question. Um, I never hope to repeat. Oh my gosh. I'm not good at being on the spot. Let me think. 
It can be like a project or like a yeah. whole job. Um, however you want to define that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, it's so hard. Like, how do I say that without pissing people <laughs> off? I worked yeah. at a company where content marketing was not understood. And there were certain projects that you just couldn't ever make happen. Hmm. Uh, lots of like stonewalling, red tape. You also can't say that you believe in having content marketing if you're if you're constantly cutting the content marketing budget. Like, okay, you don't understand that function if you're not even willing to put any budget there. Um, and that just led to a lot of projects that were very stressful, misaligned, felt like you don't have a lot of purpose if you're just constantly running in circles or red tape. Um, that's just like a short answer, I guess. Yeah. But just like working for a place that doesn't understand your function or your role doesn't make you feel very good as a human who's just trying to like do a job every day. Did you feel like you had to be an educator like about your own job? Yes, but also like feeling like that wouldn't matter. Like nobody would care. So invalidating. Yeah, exactly. So how were you hired and then not supported? Did the person leave? Yep. That's usually how it goes. Dang. So how has that yep. made you better at the job you're at today? I think it made me sharper and kind of just a little more astute at knowing how things should be or could be versus um, kind of just like cutting through the bullshit. I think it made me learn a lot about just because somebody is in a position or has a platform or has a title doesn't mean that they know what they're talking about, um, which sounds a little aggressive, but no, it's so true. I think there's a lot we can learn from each other regardless of your level or title. Mm-hmm. Um, and just because you have a certain title or a certain responsibility doesn't mean that you should be wielding so much power over others. Um, and I think in general, like it taught me a lot about work structure in general, which is nice. Like we don't have a lot of that like hierarchy. Like we have traditional hierarchy here, but we don't think about it that way. Like mm-hmm. we all own our shit and have our lanes, but we're very collaborative and there's no like, oh, well, I have this title. So I have say over you. Like we just don't operate that way. Like we're all humans. We're all on the same team. So it just taught me a lot about being able to kind of through some mm-hmm. of those like constructs and be able to to think differently about what people bring to the table. That's really cool. So what's one thing you believe about content marketing or content or marketing that most people disagree with you on? Oh, Ellie, I have so many contrarian opinions. <laughs> give give them all to me. I'd like to hear them. Uh, when you do like the Myers Briggs, it gives you like a profile now. I think it's given. I think it's told. It's told me that I'm like the independent challenger or something, which is just like a nicer way of saying saying like overly opinionated. <laughs> no, um, that's great. Yeah, I don't know if this is 
one because um, I think some more and more people are coming around to it. So uh-huh. it's like twofold. It's like, I don't believe in gated content. We have some historical gated content on our website. So if someone sees that, it's like, well, Chelsea, you said this on this podcast. Yes. Like historically it has generated ARR for us. We have historical content, um, but in general, I don't believe in gated content. I don't believe that's how people buy. I don't believe that's how people should be consuming your content or how the, or is like the most effective way to, to offer up your content. Um, yeah, so gated content and also, um, have to edit this part out because I just had like a brain fart. So gated <laughs> content and, um, oh, the funnel. So okay. gated content in the funnel. Um, we think every marketer knows what a funnel is. There's sales funnel, traditional funnel, marketing funnel, blah, blah, blah. I do think intent is a real thing in terms of what, like someone is, somebody is most likely at a certain stage of intent when they're interacting with you, no matter where that might be. But the traditional funnel in terms of like, oh, well, this person went to this website and then they clicked on this ad. So let's put them in the email nurture and then send them a case study. Like, that's not how shit works. Like, that's mm-hmm. not how we buy. It's like a spider web or it could be an A to B. It could be like, I've heard about you. That's not attributable. I went to your website and came in and request a demo and became a customer. Like, that's just, people don't buy in the traditional funnel cycle. So. Those would be my answers. I don't even get a content. And I think that the way that people think about the traditional funnel is not real. The traditional funnel in respect to like SaaS or just in general? In respect to SaaS. I mean, of course there is a buying funnel in terms of once they come in, right? Right. Um, like that is a very real thing. That is what we saw for like the leaky funnel is a thing and Chili Piper solves for that. Um, but in general, in terms of how content marketing in the past, I think I'll, I would kind of like clarify it by saying like in the way that content marketers think about planning content mm-hmm. for the funnel, um, thinking that people are at this stage and then you do take X action and then they're at this stage and then you take Y action. Like that's just mm-hmm. not how people buy. It's not as linear. Interesting. So why do you believe what you do about gated content? So it kind of goes back to what I was saying about the human element. Mm-hmm. If I want someone's content, I want the content. That doesn't mean that I'm a lead. That doesn't mean that I'm a qualified prospect. Mm-hmm. I just want the content. Like this has happened most, most recently. I think it was, I won't shout out names. Um, I just was really interested in this like guide or this template. I filled mm-hmm. out the form because I wanted it. And then I got a phone call the next day and I'm like, how did you get my phone number that wasn't on the form? I just wanted your content. Oh my gosh. Like that doesn't make me a lead. That's really frustrating. That doesn't give me a good impression of your brand. I even told the dude, I was like, look, I know this is your job to like respect, but also like, I just want your content. Like I'm not interested in like being a customer. And he's like, okay, cool. Got it. So like, I'm not like being a, like a dick to these people, but it's just like, that's not that's a reality. Huge yeah. Yeah. Um, so where on like where, in the site, in the experience, what'd you say is the best place to capture that information? What shows a higher intent? So it's all about entry, I think. So we have a lot of CTAs that are, I guess you could call them passive CTAs. Mm -hmm. So while you're engaging with content and you like it, it's like, hey, if you enjoyed this content, like follow our newsletter, just keep in touch. Um, Or some of our content that is really bottom of funnel, 
um, especially like verses and alternative content. If you're like, yeah. hey, like if you're interested, just based off this content, obviously these are not the words we use, um, chat with us and mm-hmm. check out the product. Um, so it should always be their choice and it is their choice, but especially with gated content, that's not the, in, the, the, in, the intent is much right. there. Yeah. I've been on the receiving end of that stuff too. Um, well, I know we're coming up on time, so I like to ask this question like at the very end, but what's the most impactful piece of advice you've ever been given? It can be in regards to your job or just life. Mm. So a lot's coming to mind, but I would say my kind of going back to like my career trajectory and also Mm -hmm. like what you've said about a lot of content marketers having various backgrounds. Um, Well, the agency job, no, sorry, the, the magazine job. um, I have been doing that for like three plus years and just felt like I was stuck and kind of at Mm -hmm. the ceiling and my mentor at the time um, and still friend. She was a professor and, um, then friend after college, her name's Nicole Craft. She, Dr. Nicole Craft. Um, she told me that whenever it feels like the right time to jump, just jump, just sleep. Like whenever it feels right, like trust your gut. Like whenever it feels right, um, you'll know when it's time. And I've kind of felt that throughout my entire career. Like whenever, and I actually quit that job without having anything else lined up, um, which I wouldn't recommend to anyone um, or to everyone, I would say it's a case by case basis. Yeah. Um, one of the best decisions I've ever made, mm-hmm. but I think about that a lot in terms of just like, whenever you, like, I've never planned, I don't plan to reach a certain title. I don't have a, like a dream job really in mind anymore. Um, what I love to hit unicorn status and then just like enjoy my stock options and write books and like be retired. Like, yeah, that'd be dope. <laughs> um, but right now I'm just happy doing what I'm doing. Um, and I think about that a lot in terms of just like, whenever, you know, like it's time to leap, like just sleep and I'll be okay. It's really interesting kind of talking about the fallacy of dream jobs or like not having a certain trajectory. I think that is actually more freeing. Obviously there's, something we said about focus um, and honing, you know, an interest or a passion, but I'm, I'm also in like a transition spot. I actually finished my full-time job in two days and I don't have a backup plan. So we'll see what happens. Um, But I do have the agency, so that's a good thing, but I I'm not necessarily done learning either. So I'm just trying to figure out what's next for me, but thank you for joining me. Um, Yeah. Before we close, can you share a little bit about how people can find you, learn more about you and where you work and stuff? Yeah, for sure. Thanks so much for having me. First of all, um, you can find me on Twitter. It's just at Chelsea Castle, C-H-E-L-S-E-A. Um, yeah, follow me there. Check out chilipiper.com. We are an inbound conversion platform for B2B SaaS revenue teams, specifically sales and marketing. Um, yeah, check us out. Awesome. Well, thank you.